Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Hi, welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. This is season one, podcast number nine. We're the Mystic Order of East Alabama fiction writers. And I am Mystic Margie. I'm the Mystic Illuminator. I am Mystic Joanne. I am the Mystic Defender. I'm Mystic Marion. I'm the Mystic Dog Whisperer. And this is the Mystic Queen Gale. Okay, welcome everybody. All right, um, right now our topic for today is going to be supernatural places, magical adventures. And um, I thought we'd talk about the supernatural, haunted, or spiritual places that we have visited or that we know of. Anybody want to jump in? Sure. Um, I lived in a haunted house. Really? Uh, yes, in West Point, Georgia. Um, we lived in an old antebellum house. It still had some sort of little quarters in the back, right on 2nd Avenue in West Point, so it wasn't tucked away anywhere. My father always looked for houses that had dead-end streets or cul-de-sacs because of the 12 of us <laughs> rambling around the place. And there was a lady, a ghost, that wandered the second floor of the house. The boys saw her. I moved to West Point when I was 16, so my brothers were 15, 14, and 13. And the boys lived upstairs, the girls lived downstairs. And they would see her wandering up and down the halls. Um, Carol, my sister, says one night, she was probably about 10, um, she felt somebody tuck her in and opened her eyes to say, thank you, Mama, and there was no one there. What, what did she look like? How well, did they describe she was, her? The only way I can describe her, because I saw her just once briefly. She seemed to appear to the boys more than she did to any of us, but we were all outside playing and on the second floor window, looking out over the street, a, a face appeared. And my brother started yelling, hey, mama, hey, mama, and jumping up and down. And my mother came to the front door and said, what? And we looked up, and the face disappeared. So I guess she was thin. She looked like my mother, who was thin. And the story is that we, we investigated. And the story was that she lost a child in that house. Wow. And so was still looking for the child, I think. So that, that was our mystical. Years later, after I had, we had left West Point, I had gone to law school and I was practicing in a building and there were people there from WSFA News. They had a local office there in Opelika. And the lady um, who was one of the newscasters was talking about rebuilding her house and Jimmy and I were rebuilding, re renovating a house at the time. We got chit-chatting and she was saying, oh, you, you know, the Atkinson house. And I said, oh, I lived in the Atkinson house. She goes, really? Um, did you like it? And was, you know, tippy-toeing around. And I said, you've seen the ghost. And she goes, oh my God, I thought it was crazy. <laughs> she goes, yes, she had seen the ghost as well. Wow. So, a lot of people in Auburn have seen ghosts because there are several haunted places in Auburn. Um, 
we're the home of Auburn University. Yes. And I think the most haunted, haunted one, well, actually it wasn't a place. The university theater was haunted no matter which building they were in. And the very first theater, and they stayed in this same location for 40 years, had been a Presbyterian church that was built um, in the early 1800s and had been a classroom, but it was also a hospital during the Confederate War. And um, there was a man who fought with the Texas um, people, and he got hurt, and they brought, sent him to this hospital. His name was Sidney Grimlet, and they cut off his leg to save his life, and he died anyway. And he's buried in an Auburn cemetery with 97 other Confederate soldiers that died in this hospital. And he is who is uh, haunting the theater department. And when the theater department moved to Telfair Pete Theater, Sidney moved with them. He must be a theater lover. <laughs> <laughs> like the arts. Well, one interesting thing is um, there was the usual stuff, tapping and uh, hearing people walk down the hall. But he would also appear in photographs that were just taken of the... Uh, players in the play. They'd be all dressed oh, wow. up in their costumes and there would be a paranormal kind of figure behind them. That's it. I had heard that because he was so noisy during performances, they would leave candy for him? Oh, yeah, because they were afraid of him and he loved sweets. Ah. So they were trying to appease Sidney by leaving him candy. Did they find rappers <laughs> to suggest that he ate the sweets? He was a neat ghost. He probably <laughs> threw them away. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. So, and the other place that's haunted was Old Main, which was there before it burned. And it was what is Sanford Hall today is built on the area where Old Main was. And it had been a classroom. And then again, it was a Civil War Confederate hospital. And they say that it is guarded by Confederate soldiers. And some are in the clock tower. That's the face people say they've seen in the window? Right. Well, let me ask you this, Gail, since you've lived here since the beginning. Um, is, was Pebble, I wasn't here during the war. <laughs> was, was Pebble oh Hill also a hospital ever? I have no idea. Someone told me one time that Pebble Hill was haunted and it had been a hospital, and I'm wondering if they got the theater story mixed up with Pebble Hill or if perhaps Pebble Hill had been too. Well, I had always heard that the theater was haunted because when we were going to school here at Auburn, yeah. they would talk about the right. theater being haunted when it was on the corner there mm -hmm. that is now the chapel and also after it had moved we'd always say i think but like phantom of the opera i just think ghosts like theaters yes so yeah well also in opelika is the uh spring villa it was a lake which is now gone but it, there's still a stream uh spring there spring. and it was a beautiful plantation at one time owned by Pin Young and there's a story about the ghost of Pin Young being at Spring Villa but actually this story was made up by Boy Scouts in the 1940s who were trying to scare <laughs> each other to death out its but they still report uh, mysterious happenings at Spring Villa I guess um, the ghosts like the stories that were made up by the Boy Scouts and decide to haunt the place. Gail, don't I remember a story about you and Rivers? That's, That's true. 
the story, the made-up story, is that um, a slave who was mistreated by Penn Young killed him on a step, a winding staircase. There's a little part taken out where a big vase was, and the slave hid there and killed Penn Young. But the truth of the matter is, Penn Young died of natural causes ten years after the war, Civil War was over. Did you, did you write about that in the ploy of cooking the haunted yes, staircase? Yes, she did. She wrote about yeah. Rivers going to... Rivers is my son. And we, I took him to Springville. And by the way, he was with the Boy Scouts camping there. And um, he wanted to see it. And he, uh, the caretaker let him in. The other Boy Scouts had already left for home. And I was with him, and I was talking with the caretaker at the bottom of the steps, and all of a sudden, here comes Rivers rolling down the steps, hitting every step, <laughs> bam, 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 and crying, and he said, the man pushed me. And I had heard that the ghosts did push people down the steps. That's had you? Right. I had yes. never heard that. Yes, I wouldn't I have let my young that. child go up there, yeah. because I was mother of the year almost every year. <laughs> No, oh. that was me. <laughs> Marion, what are your haunted places? Well, I, I've been to Salem, Massachusetts, but what I really would rather talk about is personal experiences. Sure, yeah. The house I grew up in, when my parents married as teenagers and moved into it, had been used to store hay for a long time, but it had been a residence at one point. My ancestors had built it. They lived up a red dirt clay road on a hill and during the rainy season they couldn't get to town to town there was no town but they couldn't get down the road for the children to go to school so they built the house I grew up in as a rainy season home to stay in during rain so the children could get to school and um, there's a round hook screwed in the doorway of the guest bedroom where my grandmother, who died when she was 19 and my daddy was six weeks old, I never knew her, but when she was having a, either a wedding or baby shower, her friends had a shower there in that house for her and they took crepe paper and made a rainbow that went from one end of the hall to the other oh, and wow. was hooked in those hooks. So that's always been a reminder to me, you know, that she lived there and she died before I was born and so on and so forth and I have no idea whether she has anything to do with the stories I'm going to tell you or not but I was sleeping in that room as a teenager because I wanted my room farther away from my parents than it was and I moved my record player and my stuff to that room and I heard I thought mama call me one night I heard my name as clear as day and I said huh and she repeated my name, and I sat up, and there was nobody there. I went down the hall, and Mama was sound asleep. So I know I heard my name, but I sort of thought, well, maybe it was a dream. Until I was, was in it a boyfriend? It was a woman's voice. It was a lady's <laughs> voice. I would have hopped out of bed if it had been a boyfriend. Well, nobody was throwing pebbles at the window. No, not that particular. That only happened after I got to Auburn. I see. But... um. Years later, when I was in graduate school, I was sitting up in our den writing a paper for school. My pa I could see my parents in their room sound asleep. My dog was with me, and I heard my name again as plain as day, just like I'd heard it all those years before. But I was wide awake this time. The dog started low growling. Ooh. I was turned. My whole body turned to 
ice. And I grabbed the dog and ran across the hall and jumped into the bed with my parents so (laughs) fast that it's a wonder I didn't get whiplash. But my parents were still sound asleep. So I've always wondered if that's my grandmother that died when my daddy was a baby. I've just always wondered what the voice, who the voice belongs to. It is a lady. I've always believed, you know, we always see horror movies and things like that about ghosts like Chucky and that would kill people, but I think... I've never seen these movies. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. Chucky the ghost? Chucky the doll, the the demonic doll. The demonic doll. No. I'm a little too highbrow for Chucky. I, I understand. But I always think that ghosts, if they are, are... are Benevolent. Benevolent. Yes, I don't believe that they're, um, they're evil at all. Well, certainly the ghost my friend Bob encountered in LaGrange that he believes might have been his mother was benevolent. Before his mother died, she had ju- he, was living, he had come home from California and was living in the basement of his mother's house. And um, his mother kept complaining that he didn't scrub the bathroom. She'd say, it's just a sin and a disgrace. You've let that bathroom get in the fix it's in. And the more she complained, the more stubbornly he refused to clean the bathroom because he was the only one who went in it anyway. Well, Were mushrooms growing out of the tub? I don't know. I just know it was dirty. It's always the black mold that gives it away. But um, his mother sadly died. And he moved upstairs, and a couple of weeks after his mother's death, he woke up and he smelled the overwhelming odor of Clorox. And he went all over the upstairs, and he couldn't find where the Clorox was coming from. So he said, well, I'm going to go downstairs. This is really strange. He went downstairs, and the bathroom, which he still had not cleaned, was sparkling. Because it was a sin and a shame. Because it it had been a sin and a shame that it was so nasty. So he believes to this day that his mother returned and scrubbed that bathroom that had given her so much grief. And her last came back and cleaned. And cleaned the bathroom. She could not go over to the other side knowing that bathroom Bathroom. was filthy. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, when I was teaching in the Alabama schools, I was teaching in a trailer. And the trailer had three classrooms in it. It was a double wide, of course. Of course. And when my mother died, the day she died, the lights flickered on and off only in my side of the trailer. Oh, on wow. and off all day long. Wow. And I called central office and asked them to come look at it. And they said, that's impossible because they're all on the same system. And I said, Okay. And the following day, I was standing behind a student watching. I, I had computers back. They were the Ice Age computers back then. And I was standing watching, and this cold wind went by me and smelled exactly like Clorox, because that's what they used in the nursing homes. Oh. And it was just freezing cold went by me. And even my students said, that was really cold. I think Miss Holder was letting you know. <laughs> I do. That is the thing about ghosts, is that they're supposed to have a chill mm-hmm. in the room. Right. Well, Betsy, and y'all know my friend Betsy, who's also gone on. After Her mother loved holidays, but her favorite holiday of the year was the 4th of July. And she, di- she died on July 3rd. So she could go celebrate it in the great beyond. And the year after she died, Betsy had moved into the house and... She said she was sound asleep, and at like midnight 30, 
all the alarms went off in the house. And she got up, you know, got her husband up to look. The police came. They looked. There was nothing. There was no doors open. There was nothing. So she thinks we used to call her Mama Tiki. We think it was Tiki coming back and saying, hey, still here. <laughs> Clean that bathroom. No. <laughs> you know, when we were talking earlier about uh, the theater yes. being haunted, the, I forgot to mention what I thought was pretty interesting. When The only time Sydney, the ghost, was active around the actors is when they were on stage, and he would send orbs at them, glowing orbs that only oh. the actors could see. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, they'd miss their lines up. Oh, sure. <laughs> and hit the floor. <laughs> Golly. Ghost, they needed Ghostbusters. Yeah. Well, you know, in Opelika, there is what's left of the Salem-Shotwell Bridge, which was a covered bridge. You know, there are so few of those left. That's Opelika, Alabama? Opelika, Alabama. I bet there's not another Opelika in the entire United States. There is not. And I don't think there's another Opelika in the world, because all you have to do is put O-P-E-L-I-K-A, and it comes up immediately. But Where? um, Where does it come up? On Google. Any place on Google. <laughs> on her crystal ball. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the, the Kiwanis Club that I belong to took the last remnants of the Shotwell Bridge and put it over. Just one moment. You yes. belong to the Kiwanis Club? I do, yes. They accept mystics? Of course they do. <laughs> Are they mystics? You've been to the Kiwanis Club. It wasn't as exciting as the Rotary Club were. No, okay. Well, I I understand. (laughs) Nothing is nothing is as exciting as the Rotary Club. (laughs) Where Judy. No, I just would like to say one more time, (laughs) nothing is exciting as that. But on to the story you were telling before I so rudely interrupted. (laughs) But anyway, the Salem Shotwell Bridge fell in. Like so many of the covered bridges, they either weren't kept up or vandals got to them. And the story is that it fell in while a woman and her child were wandering or walking or driving over it and so subsequently like I said they took pieces the Qantas Club took pieces of it put it back together and put it over okay Gail you ready for this one put it in Monkey Park over in Opelika Monkey Park (laughs) Monkey Park I love Monkey Park I do I love Monkey Park myself where they had real live monkeys they did but people mistreated them and that's wrong actually well they probably did but actually what happened to the monkeys was the what was the, tor- not tornado, a hurricane that came through here? Opal. Opal. When Opal came through, it knocked down the cages. And the monkeys escaped. And the monkeys escaped. And this is not a, exactly a mystical experience, but it sure did put the fear of God in my husband. Um, my father ran the chemical plant, and so he stayed at the chemical plant during the hurricane and sent my then not even my boyfriend then, but was this Jimmy. chemical plant in your attic? And chemical plant <laughs> that was in the basement, and we digress again. But anyway, sent Jimmy, my now husband, home to check on my mother and the rest of the kids. And as he is going, there are trees down everywhere. And so he gets out of the car and starts fighting the wind to get to the house. And he looks over and he sees a small hand and he thinks, oh, my God, that's a child. What am I going to do? So he goes over to touch the hand. It's cold. But this monkey jumps up and starts running towards him. 
So that was his oh, mystical experience with, with a monkey. monkey but Salem, Salem Shotwell Bridge, still to this day, they say, is haunted. And if you leave candy on the bridge, the child that was killed when it fell in will come and get the candy. Or a monkey. These or spirits, a monkey. <laughs> these spirits seem to like sweets. Sweet too. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So when I die, y'all know what to expect. Okay, chocolate. <laughs> and we'll look for the wrappers, Marie too. Laveau does, too. If you're asking favors from Marie Laveau. Which I've never done. How about you? I Maybe. Who, who is Marie Laveau? Well, she was the voodoo goddess of New Orleans for 200 years because there were two of her. But her believers loved her so much that rather than accept the fact that her daughter Marie took her place when the mother Marie It's kinda like Anne Landers. Right. It is and then and Carolyn King on another level. Dear Abby Dear Dear Marie. (laughs) Dear Marie lives forever. But yes, Marie Laveau um if you if you were going to ask favors, it's actually I learned this from reading about Marie Laveau. If you were asking favors of the the Loa Urzuli who is the Loa of love, sort of in Lola Lazuli? The Loa, which is what she is. Okay. The, and her name is Urzuli. Isn't there a song about Lola? Well, this is Loa. That's Lola Lola. Loa. <laughs> she was the Loa of love. So if you were asking favors concerning love of Urzuli, you offered her fruit and honey and all kind of sweets. But the, the backlash was that Urzuli is also jealous of lovers, and she might just turn around and take him from you after she gets him for oh, you. Oh, she was my roommate in college. Yeah, she was <laughs> all of our roommates. <laughs> I had one of those roommates, too. Yeah. Now, is this all in New Orleans, or do we have any here? Loas? Yes. I have no knowledge of any Loas here, but I'm sure there might be some. Betsy used to think, again, my girlfriend used to think that I could zap guys for it. Or she had, and I, I don't know what exactly she meant by that, was just that. Um, she could she, zap guys for you. For I her. Could, Joanne could, I could zap guys for Does her. Does that mean kill the ones that treated her wrong? No, just the opposite. She meant that if I really concentrated on them, they would come and, you know, just want to take her out. And I've seen you zap a couple. <laughs> what do you mean by take her out? Take her out like a date, Gail. Oh, I see. You remember dates, don't well, you? Well, this zapping married. language, I'm thinking, are we killing off the, the no, boys no, of Sigma no, Chi no. or what? I was going to say, of course, we were just talking about ghosts and witches and whoever being men- benevolent. We know benevolent. the oily langy lang can draw. I don't guess it has to be the opposite sex. I guess it's whatever gender you're attracted to. You can use elangy lang oil to draw the attention. I do remember one time during Christmas we went to the Opelika Walmart and you were looking for uh, a certain perfume that was made out of pheromones. The Opelika Walmart. I it know. wasn't it, it, there. It had to come from Macy's. I did not find it at the Opelika well, Walmart. Well, when I got to Walmart, the people there were, were the great unwashed and she's looking for pheromones to attract these people, and I'm on my knees begging her not to get a bottle. <laughs> well, the Oval like a Walmart is a fearsome place. <laughs> I'm going to think that. you're probably free-floating pheromones in the Opelika Walmart, but <laughs> this was a free-floating <laughs> pheromones. Pherom- but this was a perfume made by Marilyn Mignon, 
And I finally <laughs> tracked it down to Macy's. Macy's. Marilyn there's pheromones. Do you remember the name of the perfume? Pheromone. Are they pheromone. are they human pheromone or say monkey pheromone? Well, she. I don't think she actually had the How real about ones in Cadaver pheromone. Oh. I don't think oh. so. However, oh, oh, that book. Sorry to interrupt, but the book Perfume. Oh, that, you that, that. that book gave me the absolute creeps and very little does. Tell me about Perfume. Well, the guy, it takes place during like the French Revolution, back in really smelly times. But the guy actually made his scent perfume out of the remains of virgins. Oh. Yeah. It was, and it was written by a concert pianist. It was like his only How book. did he test this theory? Oh, he ground him up. Do you remember, Marion? I quit watching it. I read the book, but I quit watching the movie. I the movie was pretty true, uh, true, true to, to the, the book. book. I don't remember how Is he did it. Is this supposed to be a true story? No, no. it's creepy. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's too creepy. It's fiction. <laughs> well, you but, know, well, the creepiest, the creepiest things usually to, are nonfiction. Even today, people will use civet from the anal glands of cats. Yes, I've to heard a, of that. Which I don't approve of, and neither did... <laughs> The neither mis- do the cats. The Mystic Order <laughs> does not approve of that. No, and neither do the cats. Neither do the cats. <laughs> On behalf of the cats, we disapprove. But unless they're trying to get their own right. cat lover. No, we disapprove on all levels. <laughs> Marion, I see you brought some tokens or magic charms. What did you I bring? I just grabbed these as I went out the door because they were the handiest. This one is a Mexican protection packet, and you carry it for personal protection and luck. It has a magnet, which is called Piedra Inman, to attract luck, and the color red. Joanne, can you unzip lock that and tell sure. us the rest of the story? Y'all are aware that this is like the old radio programs, and they can't see this. Oh yes. And it, it looks like... That's why I'm trying to describe yeah, it. It looks like a little... Um, well, this is the description right here. Um, the red huayura, huayuru seed... <laughs> And that saint is San Martin Caballero, known for his charity to the poor. San Martin, it looked like the Virgin Mary. It's San Martin Caballero. And what exactly does this one do for you? Well, this, it's got a bean in it. What's the bean for? The bean is usually, I would think, fertility, but I don't know. There's bean, it looks something, it looks like a little um, magnet, which, but one of those magnets that you used to get, like those horseshoe magnets, the old time. And it's got the colors of Mexico on it. It has a pr- two pretty green sparklies and some gold sparklies and some red sparklies. And then it really does look like that's Juan. Uh, okay, my question Martin. is, what does, you put it in your pocket and... It's for protection and luck. Protection against evil. Fortuna. And luck. And oh yeah, for luck. It's got here, it's got a lucky elephant on the back, it's got money on the back, it's got a cat. Speaking of cats, um, and it's got a heart for amor. So yes. It, it pretty will. much covers all bases. Buena suerte, which is good luck in Spanish. And Can't you carry a rabbit's foot and get the same effect? Probably so, except that if you're, <laughs> I, I don't know, where did a rabbit's foot start? I mean, how I unlucky for the rabbit, first off. But well, and the mystics, that? again, do not approve. <laughs> no, no. My husband asked me today, before the podcast, do you have your lucky rabbit's foot? And I said, what are you talking about? I would never have that. I mean, where did that start, though? I don't Why know. Maybe some of our listeners might Do you have a monkey to... foot? I do. 
monkey's paw? No. Monkey's paw. No, but I did know someone who had a kangaroo foot as a back scratcher, which is pretty creepy. (laughs) Yeah. I don't approve of animal parts being used. No, 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 no. And I'm sure Marion does. Well, I made a necklace for my son out of his wisdom teeth, and, and nobody approved of it at all, including my son. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, and let me tell you that, speaking of that kind of creepy thing, my niece, God lover, was just in the hospital. She had gallstones, eight of them that looked like marbles each. And I suggested she have a necklace made out just because of what you did for rivers. Were they pretty? They are, actually. They're kind of round, but my sister said they stink. Oh. So probably not oh. good. Not Put them in Clorox and Dom Blue and call them turquoise. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, Marion, recently your son made a necklace, I believe. Yes, Margie, you've seen this necklace. I have. I it's, have seen the necklace. Absolutely gorgeous. When our dog Heathcliff, um, he, had, he had always had what looked like a little cavity in his canine tooth because he was a rescue, and the vet said the enamel just hadn't formed right on that tooth, and he was gnawing a bone the other night and fractured the tooth. So we had to do a surgery and have Heathcliff's canine tooth removed. And it is two inches long. I think it's more like three inches long. It's the longest tooth I've ever seen outside of a dinosaur. And my son that weekend watched a YouTube video on how to make chain mail and sat down. We'll stop there. <laughs> Why? Well, because he had decided he was going to make a chain mail chain to attach Heathcliff's tooth to. Oh, I see. And he did, by Jove. And then he put the tooth underwater and drilled a tiny hole in it. And what put did a, he, how did he do that? Because I had to get a professional to drill the... My he watched another YouTube video. <laughs> and <laughs> the put magical a YouTube. It. <laughs> and it's it's a... It's quite a necklace. It's noticeable, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's it. Except that you would not expect you would expect it to be like a bear tooth. It is so big. But yeah. did your mother see that necklace? She saw it when we went to the hospital. And Uh-oh. I'd like to know what she said. She said, "Well, that chain would be pretty if he hadn't hung that big old tooth on it." <laughs> That's probably what I would have said. That's probably before Carol was feeling so well. Maybe. Because <laughs> I would have thought she would have said a lot more. more. A lot more. A lot more. Yes. Ugh. Well, mystics, we're, we're, you know, any of you know any shamans or gurus or witches? Marion. I do. Yes, Marion. Do you want to tell no, us about... No, I mean about... Marion. I know oh, Marion. Well, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, we do know Marion. But we're not really telling. <laughs> we're not revealing anything. You know, I'm doing a book that basically you're doing a, a book i oh. know gail it's one of the eight i understand <laughs> <laughs> but one and it's based on and i believe this that witches were not as magical as people believe they just had an idea they knew how to tap into nature the natural world yeah um one of my one of the real mystics um Hildegard von Bingen wrote, um, she was a, a abbess that lived in the, the turn of the century. I mean, she lived in 1098 to 1179. She which, wrote, which century did she turn? Is that the first century? <laughs> was that? First millennium. First millennium. Yeah, 1,000. Okay. Yeah, 1,000. <laughs> so she lived a long time ago is what I'm saying. But she wrote a book called Physica which basically takes every 
thing, much like we do now, to tell you what it's good for. You know, back then, before scientific and chemical analyses and, you know, even noting about vitamins, she figured out what, for example, asparagus would be for. And, and she put everything into two categories. Either it had a warm demeanor or it had a cold demeanor. Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine. But she was a Westerner. Mm -hmm. And like I said, in the first millennium. Was she Chinese? She was not. Living she she was an abbess. But she also had she visions. She did. And she, she was, was a an, true And she was an illustrator as well. Yes. She did drawings. She, and um, she composed music. She was a pretty... You know, all around none. She all around none. All around well, none. as Gail would say, what a waste. She <laughs> was, and I'm trying to see, I want to say she was in Germany, is that right? I believe she was in Germany. Yeah, Germany, or, one of the Germanic states at the time. What would probably, maybe, I think it was Germany, really. I was thinking Belgium, maybe, today. or yeah. Then. But but she would have been considered a witch, but the Catholic Church made her a mystic instead, so... You know, same thing. So perhaps, Gail, us being mystics, dear queen, we are all witches. I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. We are all mystics. Well, we're, uh, you know, you think about, you know, magical, mystical kind of um, spiritual experiences. Any any of those happen? I have never had guys? a spiritual uh, experience in my entire life. <laughs> um, I don't know I'm if this sorry. counts, but... Mr. Fingers was coming to the Union Ballroom. <laughs> Mr. Who? Mr. Fingers. He was a hypnotist magician. This was in the, I suppose, 70s. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to go see Mr. Fingers. Because we had already se seen Ed and Lorraine Warren. Are y'all familiar with Ed and Lorraine? No. They, who they, they wrote, they went to... They were exorcists for the Catholic Church, and they went to what's the really famous exorcism movie that got the, the exorcist? No, no, the, <laughs> the house, the house where all the you know what I'm talking about that salt box house, Amityville. Oh, they oh, were the exorcists, they were the exorcist at Amityville, and after Ed passed on. Lorraine continued to do a show on exorcisms. As a matter of fact, she appears in Annabelle, those movies, Annabelle, about the haunted the doll. doll. Yes, yes, Lorraine just died, but she appeared in those movies. Well, they took a liking to Juan. We met them Juan. over. And Juan? My, Juan, my ex-husband. There we go. We met them over at the Quonset Hut. The Quonset Hut? That the... Ball game people burned down. Remember when we used to go to yes. concerts? Yes. No, they didn't right burn the Quonset hut. They burned the Quonset huts are, were those little dome shaped ones. Well, what was that thing they burned? I thought it that was, was the gymnasium. Well, that was the gymnasium. It was the old yeah, gymnasium. But was it, was it domed? No. no. I think next door to it was. But the not Quonset that. huts were brought here after the war along with tugboats and anything else students could live in. And everyone in Auburn had an apartment in somewhere in their house, the back of their house, mm -hmm. the oh, yeah. roof of that their house. That was still true when I came here. People yeah. had apartments in the backs of their houses. But go ahead. Um, anyway, we had gone to see Ed and Lorraine Warren at that place, and Juan went up after and started talking to him, and they all liked each other and had mystical experiences to share. And so I got real interested in them and so shortly thereafter Mr. Fingers was coming and I said well let's go see Mr. Fingers we kind of talked about whether we were going or not and 
we were walking back to our apartment after class one day, and I saw an unmarked, just a car, just an unmarked car coming down the road, the street on Samford, and I said, and I don't know how I had this knowledge, but I said, that's Mr. Fingers. And lo and behold, the car pulled over and said, could you give me directions to the union, the Foy Union Ballroom? And we gave him directions. And so then we had to go because I was we were too shy to say, are you Mr. Fingers in case he wasn't? And you we, had to go because you were his map? Well, no, because I had to make sure it was Mr. Fingers after I had oh, called. I after she'd made this prophecy. So we went, and it was, indeed. It was Mr. Fingers, and I had called it right. But it gets even stranger when he starts asking people to come up to the stage, and I wouldn't go. And he started calling people, and he said, there is a female in the audience who is ready for this to end because she wants to go home because she's worried about her dogs. Would that be true? And Juan starts elbowing me because, of course, that was true. So that little um, event, I But you still didn't go forward. I didn't go forward, but we went. What if Oral Roberts had asked you to come forward? I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> well, you well, wouldn't have walked up to the TV so he could heal you? No. Was that what Mr. Fingers was doing, healing? No, oh. Mr. Fingers was showing you how to use the power of persuasion to make all the blood run out of one arm into the other, which I mastered at that time. And we also... <laughs> Excuse me. You uh, mean fingertip to fingertip? I could do that, and I could stick a pin through the arm that didn't have the blood in it and not feel it, and I performed that. For my students at Auburn one day. <laughs> no oh wonder God. you were fired. No, no you're wonder. Asking about which I was not fired. And you, and you wondered why you couldn't get tenure. <laughs> I certainly had the attention of that class. Let me tell you. But we went home and made index cards. We put a, a plus, a minus, a zero, and some wavy lines. And we turned out all the lights except a candle. And Juan would sit and look at an index card, and I had my eyes closed, and I. I got, I think, something like 78 out of 83 of the cards right. And we don't know whether it was because he was a sender or I was a receiver. Is is 83 a magic number for you? No, but we just had... That many index cards? We just did it that many times. Yeah, well, he kept going through the same index cards. We just sort of counted how many times we did it, and I got an amazing number of them right. But I've come to believe it was because Juan had the power to send... More but, than I had the power to receive. I would think that people have the power, quote, to send, but you still have to be a recipient. Right. Maybe we just worked well together in that respect as a pair. Well, I want to get totally off subject with talking about your pin in your arm, all the way through your arm with no pain. Rivers, my son, came home from seventh grade one day and said his substitute teacher had a tongue stud. This is before tongue studs were <laughs> the popular thing. <laughs> And that he told the class if they would do their work and remain quiet, he'd show it to them at the end of class. And they were quieter for that substitute than any other substitute in history. (laughs) And they showed him the tongue stud. (laughs) And then they fired him. And I'm thinking, fire him. He should be the substitute for everybody. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, my son came home from school one day, and the substitute had fed him packing peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) Is he he peanut sensitive? Well, 
It was packing styrofoam. peanut sensitive. What is packing peanuts? It's styrofoam. White styrofoam. Oh. <laughs> I fed them to him and showed him how to dissolve them in their mouth. And I was livid. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I'd gone to all these lengths Poison to avoid plastic. <laughs> Poison them. Talking about teachers, I had a teacher that I've, she was older. It was when I was in Catholic school. She was a science teacher. I always remember that. Who taught me how to read palms in Catholic school? <laughs> That's but anyway, Catholic science. <laughs> she um, always sat on a stool, and of course now I know it's because she had probably problems standing that long in the day. But how she kept our attention was someone dared to ask her, well, why do you always sit on that stool? She goes, because my wooden leg bothers me. (laughs) Everybody was just honed in on that leg. (laughs) No one spoke. Okay, well, we're totally off subject. Sorry, Margie. Well, no, we're no, talking about, you know, mystical, and I guess, as Marion was talking about, the only times that we, I've had that experience was, as you know, I have a lot of brothers and sisters, and many times, just walking through the Could house. Could you name your brothers and sisters for us? Jimmy, David, Peter, Mark, Arlene, Carol, Charlie, Libby, Franny, George. Okay, now that we have that out of the way. <laughs> We ought to do that every mystic moment. We will. Let's do it. It's a mystic moment for me. And and if you can name them, there's a trivia question. (laughs) In the local bars, name all the Alexander children. And let me repeat, that's how I do get to sleep at night instead of counting sheep, is I name the Alexander children, and before I ever get to George... You're gone. I'm gone. (laughs) But um, one of us would be wandering around the house. You know how you get a song? stuck in your head mm-hmm. and somebody else would start singing it out loud <gasps> and the the piece de resistance of that was um in 1974 i lost my trailer a single wide <laughs> to the <laughs> tornado to divorce to the tornado <laughs> the man. no in 74 i was a male student at college um and Wise girl that I was, I was not in the trailer, and my brother, who lived with me at the time, had stayed in Love Chipoka with friends. And so, but Mark, my younger brother, the next morning, and it wasn't anything, I mean, we had been out of the house for a couple of years, so it wasn't like my parents, and my parents were definitely not helicopter parents. Um, but Mark... <laughs> it's not possible to be helicopter parents of 12 be, children. Yeah. No, we didn't have to have a fleet 12, of helicopters. 12 paratroopers. <laughs> so Mark kept saying, Daddy, call Joanne. Daddy, call Joanne. He goes, why, Mark? He goes, just call Joanne. And they knew there'd been bad weather, but they figured I'd call them if there was a problem. So my father called, and this is before cell phones, and the line was busy. Well, the line had been yanked out of the telephone pole, so, and Mark was insistent, something's wrong, Daddy. Go out there, go out there. Well, as I pulled up to my trailer, my father was pulling up at the same time, looking at this carnage of trailer that had been blown out like a firecracker. So that, we had a little bit of that. We had, like, you know, we can, I guess, like you were talking about, be recipients right. and re- um, senders and receivers of those kinds of things. Because Mark just knew something was wrong. And so he kept insisting that my father come out. And sure enough, my trailer was blown to hell and back. Before this podcast is over, I want to tell the story of the key to the Camry. So y'all just tell me well, when just it, go. Go for it, girl. Well, I was going to put this in the ploy of cooking, and it was too long. That's one of our books that we do think 
our audience would quite enjoy. I think our audience would absolutely love it. I mean, even if they never cooked a recipe, it's so aesthetically beautiful that I think they should have it on their coffee table. But I only had one new car in my life, and it was a Camry. I'm not a car person, but I loved the Camry. So the Camry was about 15 years old when my son John David learned to drive, and it was a mistake to let him behind (laughs) its wheel, or I would still be driving it. And so it got wrecked, and it got stalled. It got wrecked several times. And then it got stalled at the apartment he was living in. It wouldn't start. We couldn't move it. So the slumlord called me and said, I'm going to have that Camry towed if you don't move it within 48 hours or something. So he said, I have a man that'll come and tow it and actually give you $100 for it. Well, this was really heartbreaking to me because I wanted the Camry to last forever. It was back when Camrys were boxy. You know, it was my favorite car. But here's how it went. I had to meet the tow truck early in the morning at John David's apartment. I had the bill of sale, and I had the key to the Camry. I didn't want to part with my car, but I saw no choice. I went in my forerunner, and I parked and waited. I saw the tow truck pull in up there where the Zippy Mart used to be, and then movies or munchies, movies and munchies. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to go show him where I am. I put the bill of sale with the Camry key on top of it on the passenger side in the front seat of the forerunner. I locked the forerunner door. I looked in the window, double checking to see the bill of sale and the key. I walked up to Movies and Munchies to show the tow truck man where the car was. We walk back down there. He hooks it up. He said, I'm going to need the key. And I said, oh, just a minute. It's in the forerunner. I went over and unlocked the forerunner, and there is no key. And I said, this is so strange because I saw this key here through the window after I locked the doors to come motion for you. So we start looking under the seat, between the seats, everywhere. There was no key. The bill of sale was right where I had put it. No key. So we're standing there talking. And I said, well, I I guess I can go wake my son up and see if, you know, if he has the key. And we were standing there looking at each other. And the key fell from above my head. This sounds crazy, but it's true. And there was a witness. (laughs) It does sound crazy. And he said to me, did you do that? And I said, do what? Because I was so shocked. And he said, did you make that key do that? And I asked him, how could I? Because it came from above my head. Uh And we just sort of stood there staring at each other. And then... Before we left, before we, I parted ways with the Camry, which I did meet up with again in the Kroger parking lot one day, but before we parted ways, I said to him, I guess you must think that I'm pretty strange after what happened with that key, and his answer was, no, my wife is Sister Letha, or somebody, the palm reader out near the county line. Oh, wow. So <coughs> the story's true. <laughs> it happened. I can't explain it, but... It happened. Well, right. I have I have a key story. Okay. Okay. This is um, my husband used to work at Alabama Council on Human Relations, and one of his um, the woman that cleaned the building was was named Toman, and she was Laotian, and she was a, a kind of a magical person. So one day, Timon had lost the keys 
to everything. She could not find the keys, and she had a set of keys that opened all the rooms, and um, they could not be found. And um, my husband's boss, Nancy, um, loved cats, and the upstairs of that building was all filled with cats in their and different Nancy rooms. And Nancy was the director of uh, ACHR. Right. Well, is the director of ACHR. Well, anyway, Taman is like, she doesn't know where the keys are, so she goes out into the parking lot, and she picks up one of those little whirligig plants. A whirligig plant. A little plant that has little, like a little helicopter plant, you know, the ones like, that... Like yeah. um, maple trees. They maple do it, trees. they oh. go down in a whirligig. And yeah. she starts saying something in Laotian or, or going, well, huh. And then she throws it in the air, and it spins around, and it points in a direction. And so she follows that point up the fire escape stairs, and there are the keys at the top of the stairs. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. The key. (laughs) That beats St. Thomas. I mean, that's St. Anthony. Anthony. St. Anthony. St. Anthony. Oh, could you please get the saints straight? We're on live. Oh, it's St. Anthony. St. Anthony. Anthony, Anthony, please look around. Something is lost, and it must be found. That's my mother would buy Christmas presents in July, and then she would forget (laughs) where she put them. And so she would have to pray to St. Anthony to help her remember where she had hid the presents. He always came through. Yeah, he did always come through. I used to lose earrings that he'd find. I um, have to laugh. I have a girlfriend who is not Catholic, but she prays to St. Anthony regularly. And she asked me one time, she goes, why is it something that you've lost? It's always the last place you look. <laughs> because you stopped looking after that. <laughs> jo- Joanne, who did you bury in your yard to sell your house? St. Joseph. Yeah, oh, that upside down. Upside Ups- down, which I think is horrible, and I don't know why. St. Joseph is Sometimes a good guy. they sell them with kind of pointedy heads, so it's easier to get in the ground. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that there are Catholic gift stores that will sell you a little plastic St. Joseph to bury in your front yard. I got a metal one. Did you do that on Pine Day? I did. Sold it, you know. Sold you think it. he's still over there? Because I'd like to dig him Nothing's up. over there, girl, except a big old house. A big, big, big old house. Well, so. I always... I would get St. Joseph, and I would have gotten him back up. <laughs> well, to plug the ploy of cooking one more time, I forgot to add this part. If I had put the Camry Key story in the ploy of cooking, my recipes were going to be key lime pie and hearts of palm. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad we've started talking a little bit about books because we are writers. We oh, forget yeah. that. We forget that we're writers. And there are a lot of books that, talk about magical happenings and I want to mention one uh, a lot of the uh, the people who write about mis- mystical realism are South American and uh, I have several favorites but I wanted to mention Like Water for Chocolate oh, yeah. who's uh, is written by Laura Esquivel I think and um, this book is divided into oh well basically she can't get married because she's the youngest daughter and it's their rule that the youngest daughter takes care of the parents and stays home. So she, her lusty feelings are taken out on cooking, and the book is uh, how it pours over into other parts of other people's lives. But the book's divided into 12 sections named after the months of the year, starting in January and ending in December, and each section begins with, guess what? A recipe. A recipe. Yes. A Mexican recipe. And that reminds me so much of our book, not only The Ploy of Cooking, but 
our newest book, Mastering, Mastering the, Art. the Art of, of Winch Cooking. cooking. Yes. So, um, but you've read a lot of mystical realism, haven't you, Marion? I have indeed. I've, I, when I was in graduate school in foreign languages, I read um, A Hundred Years of Solitude in Spanish, which, let me tell you, is no mean feat. It takes about yeah. 100 years. I couldn't read it in Spanish, but I read it in English. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. And I, I, I too, love Isabella Allende. And, um, oh, there's just so many. Love the, in the time of cholera. Yes, yes. There are a lot of Canadian. And, you know, even Alice Hoffman. Yes, Alice Hoffman is one of my favorites. And But Canadians have a lot of magical realist writers, oh, too. Margaret oh. Atwood. Well, I have a theory. Well, maybe. I would say Salman Rushdie, but I don't want anyone to put a contract out on me. Well, Midnight's <laughs> Children certainly would have classified, you know, parts of it. But I have a theory that anywhere that races and religions mingle closely, you're going to have the... You're going to have the mingling of those, oh, those, ra- of those bel- the yes. cultures and that magical real the South Southern writers. There's magical realism in Southern writing, and I think it's the same thing. We have races and religions. Well, we used to mingle. Now we fight. But this beautiful There's magical some realism. Mingling. There is some, There's mingling. some mingling. There's still mingling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. I was going to say Voodooism and Catholicism. Right. Are you know. so similar. Yeah. Well, Marie Laveau went to mass daily, and her best friend in New Orleans was Father Joseph, I believe. That would. They spoke daily. Makes sense. <laughs> My favorite book by Allende is uh, House of the Spirits. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, love that one. And I downloaded it on my. I downloaded a sample on my Kindle today to read, kind of read over it in preparation for our podcast. And I remembered how much I loved it, so I decided to go to the library and get it. And they have every Allende book: uh, The Japanese Lover, Portrait in Sepia. They didn't have her first book, which I think is probably her most popular book. When was Of Love and Shadows? Did anybody read Of Love and Shadows? I cannot remember. And Ava Luna. Has anybody read Ava Luna? She wrote the novel Ava Luna, and then she wrote a short story collection called The Stories of Ava Luna. And oh, the yes. story yes, collection yes, yes. is one of my f- probably five favorite books in the world. I love The Stories of Ava yeah, Luna. I did read that. I can never remember all the books because... You were a Spanish major, Marion, just yes. like I was, and we read so much magical realism. I mean, Cortázar, yeah, Rulfo, yeah, and they—it just seemed like every every book that we were required to read. I mean, even Don Quixote, you know, that yeah. that's got so many because he was demented, but everything that he saw, you know, he saw through different eyes, and that's what magical realism comes down to. Is just seeing the world through different eyes. Well, yeah. well no, they. I, I think that it's trying to portray the world as it is, where possibly something very unusual can happen. When I was defining it in my dissertation, I called it the what is improbable but not impossible. And that doesn't always fit everything that's classified as magical realism, but it very often deals with the improbable but not the impossible. That's why I'm always drawn, especially in my own work, a lot of times to surrealism, mm-hmm. which is, you know, explores the dream state as well as the juxtaposition of things that are possible but well, probably improbable. In the House of the Spirits, the main character, Clara, 
is uh, telekinetic, is that mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And she can move things about with her mind. So I would call that Im improbable. Yes. But not impossible. But not impossible. Because remember, can drain her blood. Right. <laughs> we want to see you do this. I don't okay. know if I can. I'm really I'm, rusty on this. You're rusty on draining your blood. How can one get rusty on draining their blood? I use my powers of mind persuasion since I had a child 31 years ago. I gave it up. I tell you. And what, you gave a lot of blood to that I, child. I did, didn't I? Yeah, and I, I will agree with you that if we ever had any mystical, magical abilities. I think that we gave them we, to our children. I think as, we might have. Well, I gave up Diet Cokes for my nine months of pregnancy. So I think because of that, just that alone, <laughs> means that he should never say get a tattoo or smoke cigarettes. Well, I gave up coffee simply because I was so nauseated for six of the months that I couldn't drink it. And then I had caffeine withdrawal and started taking it by the teaspoon just to get caffeine. And this and sort of explains John David, your son. I also, one, one, he was born in August. With a call. And, and it was so hot that August that I just decided, okay, I mean, it, by July, I just thought, okay, I've been carrying this child around for I don't know how long. I'm burning up hot. The air conditioner's not working. The car's broken down. I'm having a beer. And I gave the poor child the hiccups in my womb. <laughs> well, I had my, my first child was born in July. I also suffered from the heat, but she was also breech. And I kept trying to figure out how I could make her get in the right position. So I would get in the swimming pool at our apartment and I would like stand on my hands at the swimming pool as long as I could hold my breath, <laughs> hoping that she would flip around. <laughs> but she never did. At our swimming pool where the um, senior citizens swim and walk every day, they are trying to make water safe babies. And for our families, a water safe baby was you'd be in your mother's arm and swim to your dad that was two feet away. Yes. And it was not traumatic at all. Well, they're taking these little three-month-old babies and dunking them in the water. Oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking that's the kid that's going to put on a black raincoat in 18 years and walk in the cafeteria because oh, they're terrorizing these children. You know, I'm ashamed to say that I did that with Jeremy. Oh, and Jeremy please. Can, I know. Jeremy they automatically can... hold their breath, actually. Well, I'm no. sorry. These children are terrorized. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I will tell you, Jeremy could speak in full sentences at seven months, and that's when I did this. And they would tell you to blow in their face, which would make them hold their breath, and then take them underwater. And he would hold my hand and my face and his little hands going, please, Mama, don't do this. Oh, why would you do this That's this what they child? used. That's what the Puritans did to witches, you yeah. know? <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and if they you drowned, know they were innocent. If I edit this podcast, I'm, I'm going to take that out for you, Joanne. Thank you. Well, Jeremy, we've had our issues. <laughs> do we do we have time for our mystic moments? Well, we're going to make time for mystic uh, moments. Okay. I don't have a mystic moment that I can think of. Well, that was something that we're going to add to every podcast. If we can, well, don't we have to have them? But we yeah, do we have to have them. them. <laughs> so I think. Um, Marion, do you have a mystic moment? Well, what I myself am writing yes. is mostly yeah. my newspaper column right now, although I dream of writing fiction again one day. That is called Lovely Tokens? Yes, it is. Yes, it's that's a, a citizen delightful. of East Alabama. Yes. I am writing a capital murder appeal. 
Oh. Yeah, ooh, that's what that's exactly what Mystic Mary said. Ooh. <laughs> well, I don't know how exciting it's going to be, but unfortunately, yeah, I, it's uh, an appeal. But he did not get the chair, so I have to advise my client as to if he wins his appeal, he gets a new trial. Ooh. Well, I'm, do we still have the chair? <clears throat> yes, we do. I thought you could Big, die, die by lethal injection. You can. Well, but they still. I think they still do have Big Yellow Mama, though. Uh, uh, and surely not. Surely. Well, I'm I'm working, of course, on my haikus that I've started oh, recording as as I walk. <laughs> uh, in as I walk, but I won't I won't finish that. I'm also working on a series of drawings of an uh, alphabet of different animals. Yeah. So I'm and and recently I've been working on a drawing. Um, it's the theme is immigration and. Um, it's a show that's going to be in Virginia, and so my idea of what I'm drawing is in the center of the drawing is a Native American, and then surrounding a Native American woman, and surrounding her are all the races that have come to this country, and uh, it, you know it's like who are, who are Wonderful. the who are the immigrants? Yeah, you know we are. You know, so that's. That's my idea for that. We'll see, it's, it's a drawing right now. Love that, Margie. Well, I'm still basking in the glow of my birthday, which was last Saturday. Happy birthday, thank Happy Queen. You, thank you, thank you. And I ask every single person who owed me a present to give me the offshoots from their oak leaf hydrangeas, little babies that come up so it's like a free thing. They don't have to go out and spend their money on, <laughs> on perfume and flowers on me. They can give me their oak leaf hydrangeas. And this is the second year I've done this, and so far... I've received not any oak leaf hydrangeas. This year I got two cakes, two different pieces of beautiful pottery. I mean, I have nothing to cl- to to complain about except that I really would like some oak leaf hydrangeas. So God just, knows I tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I'm ta- I'm appealing to my our listening public. You're going to be flooded. <laughs> no, no, I thought that. I thought that, and I so far have received none. But I, in my new house, I have a, little, have a little small forest in my front yard, and I don't want to have to keep cleaning it up. So my solution was oak leaf hydrangeas. So if you're listening out there, I have this birthday the same time every year. So um, if you have some baby oak leaf hydrangeas, I have a home. I'll have to look up and see what, what, does, what is the love language of the hydrangea. We'll have to find that out just for Gail. Okay. Well, we're coming to an end to this podcast. So how do we contact the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers? Well, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mystic Order of East Alabama. And you can find us, you can find the show on Twitter at the Mystics Pod. That's Mystics with an S pod. At youtube.com slash the mystics pod, or Mary you can Anna. drop us a line at the mystics pod at gmail.com, or you can contact us directly if you'd like to schedule readings or order our books, which are also available on Amazon. And our direct messages are open rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, be, be the, the flame, flame, not the, the moth. moth. <laughs>